cause of their falling. I will never eat meat so that I may not cause one of them to fall. Thank you, Carol. Please rise for the gospel. The gospel this morning comes to us from iPad, the ghost in the machine. It comes to us from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught, and they were astounded at his teaching. He taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Just then, there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. And they kept asking one another, What is this? A new teaching? With authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Word. Please, you may be seated. Let us pray. Loving and most merciful God, we thank you for this day that you have given us. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in the sanctuary of the, of the divine to meet once again with your faithful believers to have an opportunity to hear and to respond to your life-giving word. And may today be an opportunity for us to explore some themes perhaps that we haven't either considered or that we haven't thought deeply on. And in all these things, may you continue to inform us as we hear and respond to your word as to how we might be able to conduct ourselves in the public sphere, making sure that you and your wisdom is not lost on us. May the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. Please keep your eye upon us. Bless, keep, and guide us now and always. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, there's so many things that they do not teach you in, in school, but I'm talking about, because last week, well, was it last week or the week before I was talking about my call story? Now I want to talk to you about how ill-prepared I was to deal with the things that take place in ministry. One of the things that I was instructed is that when you're leading worship, uh, make sure that, well, <laughs> the thing about honoring people's time, I don't, you know, I just... Take that one on. That's just a suggestion. Grain of salt with that one in terms of honoring people's time. But one of the other things that I was very uh, keen when the professor of worship and, and the arts was speaking about making sure that a break in worship, make sure that as you lead liturgy, you do not have a break in worship, which is interruption with the music, um, scrambling, not having the scriptures prepared, and somebody's looking at you like, where the hell are they? And you're like, I, I don't know, let me go run them off. And then the computer takes forever to warm up, and you're like, you know, because when people were like, um, this young man doesn't seem to be prepared. Maybe we should have gone and worshiped with the Methodists. Except, you know, obviously, the Methodists aren't even here, so you can't worship with them. So, right, a break in worship is something that you do not want, because what we're trying to do is create an illusion. Right? When you enter into this space for the next 60 minutes or so, you're supposed to be able to be immersed in the divine. The Holy Spirit is supposed to come and fan gently over your ear, and you're like, I'm in the presence of the sacred. 
And you don't want to break and worship with that because when a break and worship, you're like, I'm surrounded by sorry humans who don't know what they're doing. There, there was an instance some, some years ago where there was something that was not printed in our bulletin and, and it was nothing but blank looks. Blank looks. People were like, it's not in my bulletin. Pastor, what are we going to do? Because if it's not in my bulletin, it's not real and it can't be happening. And I'm up there happily going along and everyone's like, it's not here. <laughs> right? Break in worship because we had to come back, collect ourselves, um, and, then, and then go, oh my gosh, what happened there? So imagine this instance where Jesus is now entering into the synagogue and there's clearly a break in worship. What he is encountering is... I mean, it's just a man who is, who is possessed with the Spirit, and the Spirit finds the most inopportune time to reveal itself in synagogue, in the presence of worship. Everyone's coming to hear the Torah read, to respond to the scriptures of God. Jesus is up there presenting the scrolls, and he teaches as one with authority, not as the scribes, because the scribes are sort of like, you know, they go up there and they go, okay, today's reading is coming from the book of Deuteronomy. Excuse me, I'm a bit of a cold. Anyway, um, I think we're reading here from the 18th chapter, something like that, right? So that's usually how the scribes get up there. They get up there, and they, they, they bleed on, you know, like resting squeeze box. But Jesus gets up there, and he presents the scriptures as somebody who's like, wait a minute, this, this guy is not reading. This, this stuff is written in the fabric of his being. Like, like he is living these scriptures out. Well, it's enough to, to bring about the disturbance. It's enough to, to realize that now that this authority has come to rest on the synagogue, the man who is possessed with the demons, the demons become animated, right? It's like, it's like all of a sudden all their little molecules are starting to vibrate like they're in a microwave oven and they go, Jesus, what are you doing here? What are you, what are you, why, are you why are you here? And Jesus is like, shh, don't tell anybody who I am. Silence. You know, don't, don't give away my position. Right? Because it's, because it's just too soon for that. So, this, 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 these, these demons are like, are you here to, to torment us? The demons have this knowledge. It's like the only true dialogue that's taking place in the synagogue that day is between Jesus and the unclean spirit. Meanwhile, everyone else is like, ah, you know, that's, that's not in the bulletin, right? That's, what is this? You know how you, when you go to a comedy show and they have a plant in there, like, I need a volunteer, I need a volunteer. And someone's like, I'll volunteer. Obviously, that person's being paid because everyone else is like, I don't know what he's going to do. I'm not going to be volunteering. I'm not going to have those swords run through me. Mm-mm, not today, right? So, so, there's, a, so, so there, there's an authentic dialogue because Jesus teaches with authority the evil spirit, the unclean spirit, recognizes that, recognizes the authority of Jesus, calls him out in the midst of the assembly. And Jesus, still operating on that, that authority, still operating on the spirit of God, commands that, that spirit come out of the man. Get out of the man. And, and you imagine this convulsing. I mean, it's just like, it's such a spectacle. It's the kind of thing that you go, <gasps> Right? <laughs> like like the, the last time we, 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 we saw an instance of this was, there was a, there was a video, there's lots of videos that go viral, but there was a video of a, of a man who was being hauled off the plane. And, and um, 
you know, because they go, we need this seat. And it just, it just got ugly. And they grabbed him. And they wrestled him out of the seat. And they were dragging him. And his little feet were just dragging up the aisle as they were taking him away. And you could see that as, you know, first of all, you got the person who's videotaping instead of, like, intervening. Like, quick, I'm going to, you know, i gotta, I got to get viral, right? i gotta, I got to get some likes on this one. So they're filming it. But as you can see, the other passengers on the plane, they're like, <gasps> You know, because this is, this is shocking. It's like, why, why, are we, why are we doing this and why are we so paralyzed with fear to prevent it? This is, this is, this is the heart of the matter, is that Jesus is, is con causing this unclean spirit to come out of this man. The man's convulsing. But as far as we know, that's the only involvement that we, we don't have. It, it just didn't say that, and, and um, you know, Josiah got up and held the man down so he wouldn't swallow his tongue. No, you know, that's not in the scripture. What we see here is an exchange between Jesus who represents the authority of God, the unclean spirit, who recognizes that the time, the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking. Your unclean spirit, your, uh, your, your, your presence of evil, your... your um, your disruption is going about ready to come to an end. Going about ready to come to an end. What was the, Wow. You know, there are times when I used to think I was a pretty good speaker until I get really animated about a text and it's like, yeah, you know that. And everyone's like, yes, we're not. It just means he's really into it. So when I'm really into it, I, the words like, the, 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 the thoughts faster, fire faster than what I'm saying. But Jesus is saying to the unclean spirit and, and anything else that would, that would disrupt the children of God, you're on notice. You're on notice. Because I, I am here, and I'm teaching with great authority. Now let's bring that back to disruptions in worship. They did not teach me as a young seminary student to deal with disruptions in worship. I have, if I have encountered evil spirits in my career, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I could... Characterize that's a, it's a conversation for our friends at Bible study because we talk about a lot of things at Bible study. Sometimes it's even the topic that we're actually discussing. But there's a lot of other good things that we talk about at Bible study. You should actually come to Bible study at our gatherings because it's actually kind of a hip little gathering. We get very um, very transparent at Bible study. Uh, but, but one of the things that I would say that I have encountered in context of worship is mental disturbances. You know, uh, mental illness this is, this is really, really hot right now. And everyone's like, we need to do more for those who are mentally ill. But when you have a person who is emotionally, spiritually disturbed, who's in worship, nobody knows how to deal with that, me included. I want to I recount two instances in which we've had people who were clearly, and they weren't, well, they might have been on drugs, but, but they, there was, there was, they were ill of spirit. Going back a few years, many years, uh, we had a, a young man from the community who had never worshipped here before, but we, I knew him from, from around the community. And I was, this one, I was still pretending that this was my office. And I was in there kind of getting my, my head right for worship, and he comes bursting in. He just comes bursting in. He's in tears, and his hair is all, it looks like he hasn't slept. And he comes in, he's like, Pastor, I, I, I need to, I need to make a, I need to bear witness. I go, I mean, like, literally, worship is starting in about five minutes. But he wants to testify. He goes, I need to testify. And I'm thinking, right? I'm thinking, okay, so here's a person who is, who is disturbed in spirit. He claims that God has given him something that he wants to, he, he wants to, he wants to testify. He needs, he needs a, an audience. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, 
Okay, so here's somebody, here's somebody that I can pray with. Here's somebody that I can shield my congregation from. I, I could I could actually say, no, you're not going to be testifying this morning. That's just not going to be happening. But then would that escalate services, right? You know, would, would that cause greater? So, so what I did was I, I called my trusty friend, Scott Meyer, because Scott Meyer was still with us. And I said, Scott, we're having a situation. <laughs> Scott goes, what, what's going on? I said, we, we have an individual in the office. Um, he's not well. But um, I go, this is somebody I think we need to pray for. Um, and uh, I, I need you to kind of help me work with this. It's my fault, probably, Scott went in the ministry, you know, because ridiculous things like this. But we went in, we prayed with the young man, and he says, can I, can I speak to the congregation? I need, I, I, he goes, I have things that are burdening me, and I need to, I need to confess. And I was like, gosh, I don't, you know, because you never know. When you open the door, you never know what's going to, what's going to come forth. And I looked at Scott, and we kind of sort of silently nodded, and we said, all right, you know what? We're going to err on the side of faith. So I remember Scott was standing on one side of the man, and I was standing on the other. And I gave some sort of a mild introduction, member of our community. He needs our prayers. He wants to share something with him. And it was, it was such a, it was a, it was rambly and disjointed, and there were things that, I mean, it didn't really make any sense, but somehow there was a sense of relief that overcame him just to be able to stand here and to speak to other individuals and to let them, you know what it was? It was we held the space. We held the space for him. And I know, I know I, I didn't, and I didn't hear any criticisms after worship, like, you shouldn't have done that, William. You're wrong, man. You know, you're on notice. No, it, wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. It was like, how can we help this young man? How can we help him? Because we can see how distressed he is. So what I was saying is that I wasn't planning on having someone burst in that day saying they desperately need to stand before a congregation to unburden their souls. Rarely, rarely have we had that. But I felt like, okay, if, if I have a, a prayer partner with me, because, you know, basically, you know, Scott's kind of an imposing figure. So if anything got sideways, Scott was just going to hug him. Scott was just going to embrace him and, like, kind of gong show him off the chancel. Right? You know what I'm saying? It's just like, because if he got weird and he's like, he tried to go like one of them numbers, Scott would just be like, hey, come on, buddy. Let's just, let's just go on in here, you know? And then meanwhile, everyone was like, 911. <laughs> right? Because the congregation had our back. So what, what I credit, I don't credit myself for doing the right move because I was really kind of nervous and awkward. And I was like, man, this is weird because it's going to set the tone for the entire state of worship. We hadn't even started worship. I just let him speak. And he only spoke for like a few minutes. And then all of a sudden, it's like something snapped, and he felt good, and he felt relaxed, and he went off and had some coffee. I don't even know if he stayed for worship. I can't even remember that. But somehow, he, there was a calmness in his spirit as a result of us being able to let him have his say. All right. But again, it's not the sort of thing that you get prepared for. But I count, I credit the congregation that day. I credit whoever, which one of you individuals were here that day for holding that space, for silently praying, for not getting up and storming out or giving weird glances. But you held the space and holding that space is what made him feel that he was in a safe space. Now, the other instance that we've had that I, that I remember was there was a man who was, um, I don't know his name, but he was at one of the group homes here. And he would kind of visit different churches. 
But he didn't have what we call church decorum, right? Because usually church decorum is there are times for moving about the space. There are times for chatter. There's times for us to be social. Well, he didn't follow those norms. So we would be in the midst of, of like doing the responsive reading or picking up him. And he'd just get up and he'd just like walk through the chancel space, you know, kind of look at, look at things. And <laughs> I tell you, now that day we had some looks. I mean, I, I mean there were some people who were like, <laughs> I mean, they were looking at me like, oh, you're not going to let this go on, are you? We can't have people just getting up, walking around a chance. Because I think that, the, that the, the concern was, and this was before the whole talk of active shooters. The concern was, you were concerned for me. You were concerned that this guy was going to come up and all of a sudden, you know, and then I was going to go down, you know, holding my neck. Ah, he got me, right? <laughs> so, so you were concerned for me, but there is that paralysis that, that takes place when you see something, but all of a sudden your legs won't respond. You're like... I, you know, like I have to get, but you feel like you're glued to the spot. And really, this man was, he was non-threatening. He just wanted to explore the space, and he didn't mind that, you know, we were trying to conduct business, trying to have worship. He was just like, I want some coffee. I want some snacks. And so he's just going to walk around and sort of explore the space. So I think I, I said, that's okay. He just, I think he wanted, he wanted a hymnal because we were doing something in the hymnal, and he wanted a hymnal. So he just walked up and grabbed the hymnal. I said, it's OK. He's just getting, he's getting resources so he can follow the service. The truth of the matter is, is that because we have these, these happenings are so infrequent in church, we really don't know how to respond to them. I mean, in, in my many years of ministry, I still do not know quite how to minister those who are emotionally disturbed. Not, I'm just not good at it, um, I, you know, because I, I want to be able to, like, pose questions, get rational responses, be able to sort of, like, work out some sort of plan, know who to call, uh, know where to refer them to if it's, like, way beyond my pay grade, which most of them are. But when it happens in the context of worship, then, then I'm, 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 con I'm concerned for your safety. You're concerned for my safety. We're also concerned for... That, that this break, this disruption in worship might uh, not only sour the experience, but also might have us feeling as if somehow maybe this, this work of ministry that we're called to do, we've completely missed the point. And, this, and all of this is valid questions because I can only imagine how the individuals who saw Jesus cast that demon out must have been thinking about, well, you should have been in synagogue today. It was uh, different. <laughs> First of all, this Jesus guy gets up there and he talks and, and he's powerful. You can like feel it in you. And there was this guy. Remember, you know, you know, you know uh, Jonas. Jonas was there, man. And he just like freaked out and went off on Jesus and was saying, you know, what are you doing here? And Jesus was like, no, you get out of him. And it was like, wow. And he convulsed and spit up. And then all of a sudden he was calm. And it was good. And, but, but we didn't really feel like worshiping after that. <laughs> you know, it's like the moment was lost. Because that was the moment of worship. That was the truth. That was the reality of God coming in and saying, this evil, this disruption is what I have come to exercise from the world. So when we see things that are obviously disruptions, whether they be in worship, whether they be in community, we get, we, we get paralyzed because we are so taught to mind our own business that when we see something breaking out, we go, oh, well, I'm going to go over here. Because there's something going on over there, and I don't want to get hurt. 
And, and that's, it's not my concern, it's not my business. And that is so, that's so difficult because what we see from Jesus is this total, total immersion, full body engagement. He doesn't side skirt the disturbed individual. He addresses it forthwith. He, he goes right in, full authority, even at the risk of his own well-being. He confronts the disruption. He confronts the evil. He confronts the problem. He calls it out. This is where Mark is taking us. Mark is like, we are followers of Jesus. We are learning to, to, to worship and engage the world as he has demonstrated. So when we see disruptions in the world, we are to engage, not to join in, not to, uh, not to say, oh, that's my side, you know, whichever side is winning. But we are to call these things out in order because peace cannot come without being able to engage the forces that would disrupt that peace. This is, a hard, this is a much harder message to preach than we realize, and it's probably difficult to hear, too, because it shows that there's a certain lacking. It's not an inability, but there's a hesitation, because we all have hesitation, because we are all hardwired for self-preservation, <laughs> right? And it's just like, if I'm going to get hurt, and this person is going to hurt me, or this situation is going to be adverse to me, I don't want anything to do with it. But then again, you hear the voice of God saying, would God lead these afflicted? Wouldn't God rush in? Would God not minister these interests? Yeah, but that's God. <laughs> that's what we say. We go, that's God. I'm not God. <laughs> I can't run in and deal with afflicted who are like that. I don't have the resources. I don't have the tools. I don't have the patience. I'm not, I, you know, I, I didn't, I, I, I can't. And that's where we start to ask ourselves, what is the composure of, of our faith? Because I, I believe that our faith actually calls us, if what I said last week about God being with us, God being our companion, God being our God, God being our sort of eternal hope and stay, if there's any truth to that, then we should not hesitate to be able to go to the, where the afflictions are, to where the disturbances are, to where the disruptions are, because that's how we are going to assuage the hurt of the world in order to bring about the reality of God bring about the reality of the love and the, and, and the grace that we, we, we can't avoid the issue. We have to be, but it doesn't mean we have to go alone. And that's why I feel like in those two instances, when we had people who came in here and didn't do things according to our plan, according to the layout of our bulletin, according to the rules of First Congregational McGregor, Iowa, because they didn't do that, we all sort of held the space and say, something's happening here, we don't understand it, it's, we're a little nervous. We're nervous for William. We're nervous for ourselves. All of a sudden, I feel like I'm glued to this pew, but we are going to, we're going to hold steadfast. I think in those instances, we were more united than we've ever been at any other time in our congregational life, because it always takes a little bit of a crisis for us to find out exactly what we're made of. Now, I'm not saying that I'm, <laughs> I got a whole room full of mentally disturbed people in here and I'm going to unveil them in a minute. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that in, in this world, we are going to encounter individuals who are not operating, shall we say, as society says they should operate. 
But these are individuals who are still sons and daughters of God. What is going to be our collective response to them? How are we going to be able to minister to them? How are we going to be able to, to uh, help alleviate their pressures, whether it's uh, drug and alcohol addiction, uh, whether it's depression, whether it's abuse, whether it's you know, whatever things that can happen to people, self-loathing. How are we going to be able to, to, to draw strength from what we understand as our mandate as disciples of God to be able to put ourselves in those difficult spaces in order that good might flourish? I don't have an answer for you. I just want you to think on these things because sometimes these disturbances might be taking place in your own family. It's not so much a question that it's going to be a stranger who's going to enter. It might be somebody that you've known for years, and then all of a sudden something just, it's a little different. And we need to have an appropriate prayer response to be able to minister when there is a break in our routine, when there is something that comes in from the outside, an outside force that, that disrupts what we had, our plan, our order, our you know, layout for the day. And in, I guess what I'm saying is, in those moments, I don't want you to forget that God is with you. I don't want you to say, God, if you were with me, this wouldn't be happening. <laughs> right? I wouldn't have to deal with this. God's like, oh, oh, no, I am with you, and this is happening, and we're going to take care of it together. <laughs> and I really feel that, that, that in those moments when you don't have time to actually think about what to do, like I didn't really have to, to, to time to, to, to hustle this man out of here and say, you're not speaking to my congregation. Only I get to speak to my congregation. That's enough punishment for them for the day. No, uh, but, but I said, I'm not going to do it alone. I'm going to call in a prayer partner, which is what Scott was. Scott was my prayer partner, you know, and also my heavy. So I, I called him in and I said, you, you know, we're going we're to put you on a program. You're going to be able to say what you need to say, but we're going to be, we're going to hold you. <laughs> we're going to hold you tight. Right? So you don't flail about. You don't injure yourself. You don't injure us. We're going to let you have your peace. Then we're going to let you have some coffee and settle down. Because I want, I, want, I want you to know that these, that these people are good people. They're good people. That's why we, we gather each week is to be reminded of, of our goodness and the fact that we are called to serve. So that's my invitation to you is that there... <laughs> I don't know what your week's going to bring. I don't know what disturbances or, or how the phone is going to ring or what God is going to bring for you, whether it's the death of someone, whether it's a health concern, whether it's someone just popping off, whether it's something that you witness. I, I have no idea. I don't know. But I want you to be able to be resolute, to be able to stand firm and to meet it in the same way that Jesus met the disruption in the synagogue that day, head on, forthwith, and with authority.